welcome to the first episode of the what we're calling the OV and Out podcast, uh, where we're going to be looking at a number of different uh, issues, challenges, and solutions that school administrators can leverage to to try to drive and help students, uh, not only related to day to day school, but as well as things like getting into college. Um, so today we're going to first kind of introduce our team here, and then talk a little bit about uh, back to school. But we've got uh, uh, Mr. OV here, former Miami Dade superintendent, and we've also got JC Silva here, former principal of uh, Ronald Reagan uh, School in Doral. JC is one of the uh, more connected people I've had the opportunity to meet. Every time we go somewhere, when we're meeting with a school, uh, he's just one of those guys that knows everybody. You know, whether it's the the you know the receptionist in the office or frankly the security guard in the parking lot. I mean, it's kind of amazing <laughs> to me how many people this guy knows. So uh, so we're talking to two folks here that really have a good clear sense of what's going on in the educational system. And so you know today we want to talk a little bit about back to school. You know, it's beginning of August. Uh, the weather is still crazy hot here in Miami, although it's stormy out today. But um, but you know back to school is kind of starting to kick into gear. Um, and so we wanted to learn a little bit more about what that means for administrators, right? So there's a, you know, there's a lot of administrators around this country. Um, and if we really think about it, back to school is kind of that first step. But, you know, you never know, right? So like kind of what does that mean for people? So, you know, OV, really taking it from your perspective as a former superintendent of a just massive school district, how would you kind of approach like back to school? What would that look like for you? Well, it's uh, it's it's really kind of a, a restart every year. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, you've got kids coming back. Um, in South Florida, uh, for me, my recollection was that it's a... Uh, it's a challenging time of the year, not because we're opening a school, but because it's usually hurricane season. Yep. And that's uh, true. Yeah. As yeah. Is, and, and you're talking to a guy who went through Hurricane Andrew when oh, I was man. superintendent. Yeah. And so for me, opening a school in July and August uh, is uh, it's kind of just links to you got to be ready for a hurricane, you got to be ready for opening a school, but you got to be always thinking in the back of your head. And that's just years of programming. Um, I think the, the the people that do the hard work are the principals. And yeah. JC can give you that kind of perspective. Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate to have great great principals and, and great leaders at the school site level. Yeah. My job was easy, just to support them. And uh, and usually our opening of schools, you know, every one of the six years that I served as superintendent uh, was was very smooth, and it was all because of the people and the yeah. team effort. That's that's really what it was. Yeah, JC, what well, about I, you? I have to agree. Uh, from a principal point of view, it's it's your staff. Mm-hmm. It's parents come in, students come in on the first day, they're ready to go. You know, they think we've all been resting just like they have or on vacation for three months or two and a half months. And in reality, a lot of times, especially at the high school level, you've got um, summer classes going on, you know, students that needed to last minute credits to come in. So we were open during the summer. Uh, We had a staff that was coming in to make sure that graduation requirements were met getting ready for the start of the year. Um, and then the challenging part is the finance part, which you know every year it gets more and more difficult financially to, to run a school because of the cuts yeah. you know, from the state level. And you're waiting to get your budget. You're making sure you can keep the staff that you need to have. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you're just praying that enough uh, 
students show up so there don't have to be cuts to the staff. So it's a very challenging time. Hmm. And it's a time when uh, you're almost asked to do the impossible. And if it weren't for those around you that really keep you sane and the assistant principals, uh, the counseling staff, the teachers that that really are there to carry the weight that first day. Because, uh, like, you know, V said, it's exciting. You yeah. know, all those kids come the first day. Yeah. I remember when I was at Reagan, you know, they had a tradition that they would meet up, um, you know, at a, at a Walgreens or whatever down the street. And they would all caravan into the school. Yeah. And I remember my APs would get a little bit uh, cautious because uh, you never know what can happen. But, you know, just to see their, their face and the seniors coming in with senior crowns. And yeah. it's an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of work has already happened. Okay. Um, and it's continuing to happen. And right now is crunch time. So is there really no back to school? Is it is it more of a... It, it's... Th- there's very little closure. Yeah. Um, now it's just one continual cycle. Yeah. Where you're closing off. But there's so many, you know, I's and, uh, to, to be dotted and T's to be crossed that you're already looking ahead to the new year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. But just it's, uh, just as, as a little contrast, it's funny because if you look at schools today, particularly here in, in Miami-Dade, yeah. um, I don't want to say it's a declining enrollment, but it's, much, uh, it's a smaller school district than it was when I was superintendent. Mm. JC alluded to the fact that they were hoping all the students uh, would show up. Yeah. During my tenure, during the six years I was superintendent, we would grow from twelve to 15,000 new students every year. So I was just trying to figure out where I was going to put them when <laughs> right. they showed up. Right. Uh, so it's the, the times have definitely changed. Yeah. Uh, these were many, uh, obviously, uh, students that were coming from South America, Cuba, yeah. Colombia, Venezuela, Nicaragua. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had schools that were built for... Uh, my <clears throat> where my daughters graduated from, it was a school that was built for three thousand students and have fifty six hundred students yeah. students in that school. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny how operational um, dynamics change. Like you said, you were just where do we put you know how's these kids? Do we have enough staff, enough classrooms? And in our cases, how do we become creative? How do we become um, you know relevant yep. so that the kids choose us because it has become uh, and the parents choose us as a school hmm. um, there is now options with charter schools and private schools and right. um, so you are fighting um, you know to, to, to make your school be the one that they choose yeah so it, it, it's it's a different challenge but there's always a challenge Absolutely. so so I guess then that, that's perfect kind of tie into you know if you really think about your best years right kind of as you and then, you know, that's always hard to kind of really quantify, but if you were to think about some of the best practices, right, like things that you did at the beginning of the year to just get off on the right foot that other maybe administrators could learn from, what are some of, you know, do you have some of those, you know, maybe suggestions to consider to kind of get the year off on the right foot? I mean, I mean, I can tell you from personal yeah. opinion. You know, as a principal, sometimes you're not well liked okay. uh, from your staff. Okay, you always have to be the bearer of bad news. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, the cuts come from the top, and, and you sort of have so to. You're make saying decisions. OB was making your life uh, difficult. Okay. okay, you know, fortunately for him, he wasn't my superintendent, <laughs> but I'm sure he made it for others. Right. Uh, but you know, as, as the you know, OV being in charge of superintendent, myself as a principal. You know, you have to make decisions um, with what you're given. Yeah. And it has been a little bit more trying with the financial issues we've had the last, you know, 10 years in education. Yeah. And I guess the thing is, just as a principal, just to know that you're doing the best decision for that school, for those students, for those parents, um, and just keep plowing ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, 
eventually I think one day the staff will realize whether it's when you're there when you've left that it was all done as long as your focus is the students and what benefits them mm-hmm. that it was all done for the right purpose mm-hmm. and don't forget about the staff yeah. um, a lot of times you know we say it's all about the kids well it's those teachers that are in there you know a lot more hours than they're getting paid for mm-hmm. uh, to, to make the, the challenging um, job of education a reality for these kids and, and really grow them. So I think it's do everything you can within your power to support them, mm-hmm. both financially, both emotionally, um, and and let them know you're willing to, to get in the trenches with them. I think yeah. those are that's what I would recommend. Yeah. No, I'm, for me, briefly, uh, somebody asked me a long time ago. Said if if you had to summarize what your job, the most important aspect of your job, and was to create an environment where principals and teachers can do the best job they can and keep as much noise out of there as I can. And uh, that's what I focused on. I focused on trying to just, you know, provide resources to the school, give them the availability to to make decisions, to do it correctly, get the support and and get out of their way because we were very fortunate to have very competent people. Yeah. Now on the flip side, mistakes, right? So what are some of the things that you've seen you know, in your past that, you know, hindsight always being 2020 that, you know, we're starting off the year, that might not have been the right thing to do. It, does that, have, have you experienced anything like that? Well, I, th- I think we all make mistakes. Yep. And, that's, and that's how we become better administrators, better teachers, better, better humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just realizing that you've made a mistake and, you know, saying, hey, you know, you, you thought, you, to make a decision, and I think, Ovi, you would agree with this, I mean, I was the one that would just try to educate myself the best I could, yeah. whether it was information I had on hand, whether it was questioning my staff, what do you think about this, what do you think about that, because you're impacting a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to go with your gut, saying, you know, I think as a leader, I've been empowered with this position, this is the way I need to go. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, um, also be leader enough to say, look, I, it was the wrong one, let's change it, let's change course. Um, and I think as long as you're real, and you tell people that mm-hmm. they're going to come on board and they're going to understand. Hey, you know nobody's perfect, but you know regrets as far as big mistakes or anything. You know it's 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 an operational, yeah. You know, huge operational undertaking. Yeah, and you're going to have things come up, but it, it's I, I don't think we it's how we handle them. Yeah, and I think that's that's key. When we do another podcast, I'll tell you a big yeah. mistake that I made. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, made it uh, on the phone when I was talking to Air Force One. Yeah, but that's a d- story for a different one. time. I, I don't know if you can get. I think you might need to. You might need to go into that. I mean, it, I, very briefly, we. Okay. It was after Hurricane Andrew, and uh, I always, always got to my office at six a.m. even before and after mm-hmm. Hurricane Andrew, but. But I was there, but I never picked up the phone because that was my quiet time to go through mail and do different things. Make a long story short, the phone rings. I pick it up. I say, superintendent's office. And a very serious voice comes on and says, could you, is this uh, Mr. Viciero? I said, yes, it is. And said, could you hold for the president? Oh, my God. And uh, it was was a great story because it sounded like a guy who was on staff who was a practical joker. And he always... And I proceeded to use language that was less inappropriate because oh uh, I thought it was him and I called him by his first name and the voice went 
quiet for about 15 seconds and he come back, came back and he says, could you hold for President Bush? And I realized that it was really Air Force One. Oh so uh, it was a great story. Uh, so that was a big mistake. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, man. Um, that's that's <clears throat> that's a mistake that uh, it's a little bit hard to bounce back from. Yeah. But uh but, you know, um, he brought down forty million dollars, but so it was okay. I let him go. Yeah, after. yeah. I think I think I think that's totally fine. Wow. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, I think just in general, I think you know, for a lot of folks, right, as you always think back, you you just want to avoid reinventing the wheel, right? So you know, if it's working with your staff more, making sure that you know, are there any kind of like tactical things that people you know are thinking about going back into school that might make sense to focus on more. I know you'd mentioned kind of the financial side, kind of making sure budgets are where they need to. I mean, anything else that kind of operationally that that makes sense to focus in on? I think just be able to change. Okay. It's a constantly changing, you know, we're educating kids. Yeah. But the process and everything right. changes and just be able to change with it. Yep. Okay. Um, now let's talk about the families, right? So, you know, obviously there's summer reading and those types of things, but what recommendations generally do administrators or do they even do this make to families to kind of get the year started on the right foot? Like what have been some of the best practices you've seen in terms of like, here's a good way to communicate to families to get the kids ready to go on day one? Uh, always a back to school event. Okay. Uh, you know the district offers back to school night, but that's already when school has started to meet your teachers and all that. Yep. Um, two of the schools that I was at, we had previous. You know, before school started, we had either an orientation, um, a barbecue at one of the schools, and it was a way to attract the parents and the families in. Yeah. Um, it was a way so that they would learn a little bit about what we were doing at the school, especially if they were new. Okay. So orientations is, is very, very important. Okay. And I think it's a way that we can really sort of connect with the parents and um, get them a little easy for the start of the school. So this, Especially, is, this is before school starts or after Yeah, this is before starts. school okay. starts. Like, okay. you know, I, I guarantee you some of the schools are having orientations next week, the week after already. Okay. And what they'll do is they'll have the parents come in. Do they um, all come in? I mean, what's kind of the You have a lot of the freshmen. In other words, if it's a high school, you have a lot of the yeah, freshmen parents correct. coming in or new parents, students to the school. Yeah. Because they're coming in at a different grade level. Um, you know, every at least the, the schools I was at as principal, middle school and high school, those are big jumps for families. Yeah. You know, from elementary to middle, it's a totally new world. Yeah. You know, the middle school houses three elementary schools, more or less. Yeah. Um, so the numbers are larger. Um, it's not as much babying the kids. You know, the kids go to lunch by themselves. They're not self-contained yeah. classes. So it's, yeah. it's, it's different, and there's a lot of constant changing of classes. And then when you get to high school, obviously, you get... Three middle schools, if you didn't do one high school. Yeah. So the numbers just keep going up. Okay. And it, it's a sense of reassurance that even though the volume is more, the responsibilities on the students now become more, yeah. that we're still there as, as a school to support that. Okay. And it gives them a sense of what, what to expect. And, and you can take that and, and sort of take it to a different level at the district level. What yeah. we tried to do is be accessible to community groups, communicate a lot of information, hold, get get uh, key staff members on TV, on radio to, to articulate the information to the parents, respond. There 
reserves. A lot of a lot of times during that time of the year, particularly as it pertains to transportation, mm -hmm. there were a lot of questions. So we'd get a lot of retired administrators to come back in, answer the phones, so that questions wouldn't linger. Um, it, really, the most powerful thing is is to articulate and and inform the public about what what's happening, what's new, what's different. So I'll take it from a maybe of a different perspective. So as a as a company that helps students get prepared, right, for each school year or each exam, we try to be somewhat proactive in terms of understanding what classes they're going to take and then try to scale them up. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, to do that, students have to pay us a certain amount of money to go ahead and do that, right? Obviously, that's not uh, accessible for every student in the Miami-Dade School District, right? So, but if you could choose, like, if it, that you maybe you haven't done in the past, are there other things that you would have liked to have done, whether it's, you know, send out the syllabi early to parents, like whether, you know, because I'm thinking from a, you know, from an educational enrichment professional how to do that. But what's like, are, would there have been some other things that you well, would have liked to I have done? I some think some of that is already happening. Technology in itself has allowed a lot, uh, let's be a lot simpler. Okay. Uh, getting syllabi out and all that was difficult. Now they're posted online. Okay. You know, when, as, though, a principle, but, yeah. well, as a principle, as a principle, um, you having buy-in because these aren't requirements for teachers but a lot of the teachers like the students to be prepared yeah. so they'll put their syllabi online yeah. um, now you go even to you know the office max or staples or whatever mm -hmm. we have now and there's syllabi there from school uh, you know uh, materials less from schools yeah. that didn't happen before yeah. so I think as a community uh, there's a lot more being done for information mm -hmm. um, a lot more at their fingertips with, with the web and you know and all that that's changed over the last 10 years so I, I think a lot of that is there and it's accessible. I think is it they, effective though? I think it is, but I, honestly, I think it's that one-on-one -on -one contact. Okay. You know, going back to that orientation, because a lot of times it's not necessarily the materials and, and the syllabi. Mm. It's the comfort level mm. of this is where I'm going to be nine hours a day, and as a parent, this is where I'm dropping my child. How safe are they going to be? Yeah. You know, that those are the questions that even at the high school level, yeah. that doesn't mm. change. Yeah. There's still that underlying I'm, I'm leaving my son or daughter at school yeah. and I just want to make sure everything's okay yeah. and I still think that's what is most important to a parent you know before school starts so how about on the district level well I mean imagine uh, first of all the date experience is, is pretty unique because we're the fourth largest district in the nation. Yeah. You got 300, well, I think it's 340 or, or 50 something now. My time, we had like 386,000. Um, it's a very impersonal system. Mm -hmm. uh, three, 400 schools. Um, so it, it is a pretty daunting kind of experience, particularly like JC said, if you take an elementary school kid that's all of a sudden going going from a school that had six, seven hundred kids going to a school that's got 1,800 kids. Yeah. They're walking in the hallways. They see kids that are bigger than some of the teachers. You know, it, it's, it's a pretty pretty uh, imposing idea. So, you know, for us, it's, it's about being, being visible, being present. Uh, talking to people, communicating all the time, uh, and and that's all you can do. Now, if you're if you're a school district of fifty five thousand students, yeah, and you only have a total of maybe twenty schools, it's a very different experience. Yeah. Uh, there's a community sense that doesn't that just doesn't exist in yeah. in Dade County. If you live in Homestead, all the way to North Miami Beach, you know it's uh, those are kids that probably will never see each other yeah. or have any contact uh, with each other unless. 
you know, they play sports or, or, yeah. or something of that sort. So it, it's it, it's a very, it, it, it's a, at the district level, it's all about being visible, having presence, communicating, being accessible. And that's how you sort of get through the opening of school. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. I think a lot of interesting points there uh, for folks to consider. And uh, thank you both for joining. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. To listen to more podcasts, please subscribe to the OV and Out podcast on anchor.fm.